I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Ditchburn. I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance that I needed the most. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your superpower. So lock your door, put your headphones in, and enjoy. Susan Birch, Kiwara, Tenakoto, 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 Katoa. Welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. Kia ora, Anna. Thank you very much for having me. My dear listeners, let me introduce my dearest friend, an honorary member of my mastermind, the Align, and a person who helped me to lose five kilos in five days before my <laughs> wedding day. <laughs> so I look stunning. <laughs> Susan is also helping people with higher cholesterol, diabetes, and heart diseases to understand what is going on so they can make better decisions for their own health. Susan is also known as a health detective and the world's best self-care coach. Susan, what does self-care mean to you? Self-care means doing the things that are necessary to take care of your body in the way that your body deserves to be looked after. And we often think of self-care as things like having facials, having our hair done, doing our nails, nice smelly candles in a spa while we relax. And those things are all self-care as well. And I think they are very important. But Our body has a real need for quality nutrition, for nutrients. And often I think there's a real misunderstanding that we think that protein and carbs and fat, are that's what everyone talks about. We think about how much of those should we be eating, how many calories are in those. But what our bodies really need are the nutrients that those bring to us. And I think that's something that's got a little bit lost in the, in the focus over the last 40 or 50 years of the way nutri- nutrition has changed. So self-care means really understanding how to nourish your body and really understanding how to energize your body. And when I talk about energizing, that includes exercise but recovery from exercise and it's not necessarily about always having to run marathons or do crossfit games but about again just taking care of all those physical structures in your body in a really healthy way and it's got to be individualized because we're all different and we've all got different capabilities and we have different exercise requirements and different nutrition requirements so I've spent gosh nearly 40 years over 30 years learning about this trying to understand how it all comes together and then being able to help people put that into place. Why is it so important to care for yourself? Caring for yourself gives you the gives you the energy gives you the clarity of thought it gives you the self-confidence to be able to go out and do the things that you want in your personal life and your professional life and caring for yourself helps keep your mind calm and helps you cope with stress and struggles and and you know the challenges and the tragedies that we all come across in our lives It helps us believe in ourselves. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that people don't care for themselves is because of of a real lack of belief 
in themselves and then we need and so by caring for yourself nourishing yourself energizing and then doing and then doing all those lovely restore restorative things as well like spas and nails and and, and those things just really enables people to live their life to their to their maximum benefit I just see so many people who come to me and are incredibly fatigued they go to their doctors and their doctor runs some blood tests and says oh you're fine um you know here's an antidepressant here's a sleep medication here's a statin yep go away eat a bit less do a bit more exercise they don't tell you how to do any of that and they really miss a whole lot of information that we can get you know from the various kinds of testing that can then help people build their body in a way that enables them to go out and live their life to that potential that they have don't know I hope that did that answer the question you nailed it you absolutely nailed it it's not many people actually would care about themselves Uh, through my own healing journey I would care about everyone and everything but not about myself because I thought I'm not really worthy who Mm. am I you know it's selfish to care about myself but you absolutely nailed it without self-care you can't help really others no. You, you can't care about others until until you are an empty bucket. Susan, what do you do for your self-care? So for my self-care, I really take charge of my eating. And you know, that doesn't mean that I don't that I don't enjoy some chocolate and I don't splurge out and 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 that I can't have a good time and go out and have a really great meal and some lovely desserts. But Overall, I really take control of my of my eating. So nutrition is one of the key ways that I take care of myself. And I suppose I have a benefit in I really under, have a deep understanding of nutrition. So I know what I should be eating and, and I adjust my nutrition according to how I feel, what my energy is like. If I'm hungry, I eat more. If I'm not hungry, I don't eat so much. I adjust it to my exercise. And then exercise is my other aspect of self-care. So I'm a real big believer in women lifting weights. I've been lifting weights for 43 years now, nearly 44 years. So I think they are fundamental to our health. And a lot of people are really endurance have, have a tendency towards to want, wanting to do endurance. And part of that is because we think that running and biking and those activities burn calories. And so I think if, that, if you enjoy that, it's great. But just do, as a woman, make sure you lift some weights. Um, a lot of our body image problems are really because we're under-muscled, not because we're over-fat. And we, we're often worried about our fat, but if we had a little bit more muscle, then some of those body image issues would go away as well. Sleep is important for self-care. I don't always practice what I preach, so. <laughs> as we all do. <laughs> so I preach all the good sleep habits to all my clients and encourage them to follow them, and I don't always do it myself. But sleep is definitely very very important for self-care and it's really important in terms of helping us manage our weight and I I don't know if people tracked it but you know if you have a bad night's sleep or a couple of bad nights sleep and you get on the scales you'll see your weight will go up and that's not because you've added some fat it's because of water retention and inflammation in your body and then you'll get really hungry as well and you have a lot less control over what you're going to eat when you've had a bad night's sleep. So sleep, you know, learning to set some good sleep structure is very important. And then having fun and laughing and and sharing good times with people that you love is super important. And I think the other thing that has been 
a long, slow journey for me with self-care is to actually get rid of the toxic people out of your life. So you have to learn to say no, learn to set boundaries, learn when relationships are no longer fulfilling for you or the other person. What a great advice, Susan. And it's so simple, honestly, but not many people would follow this. And I want to expand a little bit more on nutrition because through my own healing journey, I've realized how important to get a good nutrition into my body for my mental health. When you talk about nutrition, what are you talking about? Is it vegetables, fruits, um, animal fat? What, what, would you, what do you suggest usually to your clients? So when I talk about nutrition, I talk about it in two different, there's two different aspects to nutrition. So as I touched on earlier, we have the, the calories, which I call energy. So mm-hmm. we have the energy aspect of nutrition and our energy comes from carbohydrates and fats. So they both provide our body with the energy we need and I think of that energy as being like plugging into the you're plugging your computer into the power, into the power. So that power is giving your computer the energy that it needs to run. And then we have the nutrients that we need in our body. And those are all the vitamins and minerals and trace elements that that are absolutely essential. So I talk about the nutrients as being part of the chemical factory in our body and so you imagine that you've got a paint factory and you want to make some blue paint so you've got to have specific chemicals coming in going around that paint factory to be able to produce that blue paint and if one of those chemicals is missing you don't make blue paint you might make red paint or black paint or you might not make any paint at all and that's what happens in our body So if we're missing any of those nutrients, first thing that happens is our ability to make energy really decreases. And our sense of health and wellness is based purely on how much energy we have. So, you know, people talk about Laban and Laban's energy, right? And Laban is just... Laban, yeah, just to to clarify, Laban is my husband. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... Laban is like the energizer bunny, you know, Mm -hmm. he's full of energy and, you know, people comment on Laban's energy and when people don't feel well, really what they're saying is I have a lack of energy. And so when you've got cardiovascular disease, your heart is lacking the energy. It's lacking the ability to make the energy that it needs. And that goes for all the different chronic diseases that that we all have when we have depression our brains are unable the cells in our brains are unable to make the energy that we need to be able to operate properly so the first thing we want to look at is are we getting all the nutrients in that we need to be able to create that energy so when we can't make energy we end up with everybody would have probably heard of oxidative stress and people take antioxidants to reduce oxidative stress and inflammation so when we can't make energy what happens is we end up with oxygen doing damage inside of our body and so when oxygen starts doing damage inside of our body we get inflammation and then that's where when we get pain we get all these other symptoms, you know, we get high blood pressure, we get fibromyalgia, we get depression, um, we start developing type 2 diabetes, anxiety, all those things, chronic fatigue, you know, that whole, like, I just can't get out of bed in the morning. And very little attention is paid to that part of nutrition. Everybody wants to know you know, how many grams of carbs I should be eating or how many grams of fat I should be eating. When we look at what we should be eating to get those nutrients, we have to go back to ancestral nutrition because we evolved 
over millions of years eating the food that was available to us. And our bodies adapted, you know, evolution took place. And so we adapted to require those foods and those nutrients in those ratios, in those quantities to be able to make our chemical factory work. And then we required the energy, the power plug to plug in so, so that it could keep running. So the energy came from carbohydrates and fats. So from an ancestral perspective, we ate whatever was available and we adapted to it. And mostly that was protein. There was always protein with fat, but there would be sometimes depending where people lived, what part of the world they were in, there would be some fruit, there would be vegetables, there would be tubers and things like that. So we can be flexible. We can be flexible around those things. And it's a matter of people finding what they enjoy and having the right balance. But I'm a very big believer in animal foods and our diet. And that's because they do provide that essential nutrition component that we need to keep this chemical factory running properly. Susan, thank you so much for such an answer. And the reason I brought this, uh, this question up, because I've tested on myself when I was going through a really hard time, uh, anxiety and uh, depression at some point as well. I've noticed I'm a, a huge believer in mind, uh, body, and spirit. You can't, you can't just focus on your body without mind and spirit. And same on your mind without body and spirit. And spirit without body and mind. I've, I, I'm 100% convinced that it's all linked. And when I, when I started my keto diet and then uh, carnivore diet, I've noticed a huge, tremendous improvement in my mental health. This, this uh, fatigue just lifted up. I've noticed that my mood became more stable. I've noticed that I, my anxiety reduced tremendously. My depression is gone. And I honestly believe that the best source of uh, energy is uh, animal fat. We can survive on carbs as well, but I don't think it works well on a long, uh, long scale. What I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to give a medical advice. I'm trying to share my own experience. And Susan, when I met you, <laughs> when, we, when we share my analysis with you, my cholesterol level was perfect. My vitamin B, everything was so great. I was really surprised. It really helped me to go through my trauma recovery, really helped. And I think it would be beneficial for someone who is going through a similar situation right now. I think animal, animal foods have very, very unique properties that you can't get out of plant-based foods. They are the nutrients in animal, animal foods are a lot more bioavailable to our body. So even things like iron. So you'll hear that you can get iron out of plant foods and spinach. Mm -hmm. But it's a different kind of iron. It's non-heme iron compared with the heme iron you get from animal foods. Vitamin A is another one. And there are all these plant foods that supposedly give you vitamin A, you know, and eat your carrots so you can see at night. But the kind of vitamin A our body needs is retinol. And the kind of vitamin A that comes in carrots is beta carotene. And it's about a 12 to 1 conversion process. So you've probably got to eat, you know, a kilogram of carrots at every meal to be able to get enough beta carotene to convert to retinol. And I could go on and on and on through all the nutrients vitamin b12 which is so important for the function of so many enzymes in our body and for our mental health is not available in plant foods it's only available in animal foods so animal foods are really important 
for every aspect of health and particularly for our mental health. So I'm not surprised that the, what you experienced happened. And I see that over and over again with people. Last question on nutrition. <laughs> some people would say, but I'm taking vitamins and, and some vitamin B12, iron. What's your thought on, on those? Oh, that, that's a really complex question. With things like iron, with things like iron, often iron deficiency is really a copper deficiency. So many people get diagnosed with an iron deficiency, take extra iron, and in actual fact, they don't have enough copper. And then without enough copper, your iron gets stored in your tissues, causing tons of damage, damaging your liver, damaging your brain, damaging your heart. But you haven't got enough iron running around your body to, you know, help with oxygen transport. And you need copper for that. And you need copper to be in another enzyme and protein called ceruloplasm. And most people have probably never even heard of that stuff. So taking vitamins and minerals, I'm not opposed to it. There are times when they're really useful. But if you take a multivitamin, who decides what goes in it? Who decides what form of that vitamin is it? It might say B12, but is it cyanocobalamin or um, methylcobalamin? You know, what form is your folate? And is it folic acid or is it folate? What form is your vitamin A? Is it beta carotene or is it retinol? Do we really need to be taking vitamin D? That's another controversial topic. Um, vitamin D blocks vitamin A receptors. You know, it's it's a really complex interaction of all of these of all of these vitamins. But when we can get it from food, it's in the form that our body recognizes. Mm. When it comes in our animal foods, it's exactly what we've evolved to need. The ratios are all correct, mm -hmm. and our body instantly recognizes it. And it's bioavailable. And that's something that's very misunderstood about plant-based nutrition and also supplements. So many supplements aren't bioavailable. You know, we have all these magnesium supplements that people take. Half of them are really poorly absorbed. People take zinc. We're seeing all this zinc stuff at the moment. Zinc and vitamin D, you know, protect you from COVID. Well, zinc blocks copper uptake and so now you get into another problem and then and then you've got you you can't you can't bind copper to iron and then you can't transport iron around the body it's just uh it's just a it's, it's a really complex maze of interactions going on that the public don't in general and they don't understand and they shouldn't understand but i always just say who decides what goes in these vitamin pills how much why Exactly. How long are you going to take them for? Exactly. Exactly. Susan, what resources do you use to help your clients? If someone would love to get in contact with you to learn more about nutrition and self-care. I have, I run two different kinds of programs. So I have the health detective program and the health detective does one-on-one -on -one consultations and has a look at people's blood tests to, to determine what's going on and see if we can find the root cause of problems and will help by making recommendations around nutrition. And that might be to, you know, reverse type 2 diabetes, for example. So we will have a look at blood sugars and figure out what a person can eat so that's one side of what I do. And I do a lot of other testing. I do hormonal testing and stool testing and organic acids testing. So, so that's the health detective side. The other side of what I do is the self-care side. And the self-care side is really a, so I have a six-month program and we meet twice a week. And I find that anything less than six months doesn't really work because because it, although it's easy to talk about changing your nutrition changing your mindset and your belief in yourself and adapting those habits to a new way of taking care of yourself and loving yourself and believing that you're absolutely worth the effort does take some time so in that program 
we do we do a lot of testing if people want it. So if people have got their test results, we have a look at those and we do a lot of nutrition planning. But then we also work on neurochange. So we look at how we can rewire our brains to learn to love and accept ourselves and then take those small, tiny steps towards proper self-care. I love it <laughs> because I saw your program and it's just amazing. You cover, you cover everything, which what we need. Susan, and I will, I will leave it for our listeners to check your website because you have such an amazing information over there and your podcast, which is just a golden nugget <laughs> of knowledge uh, and experience. But I really want to talk about your background because I know you shared with me your story which is a heartbreaking. And just for the content, where did your trauma start from? I think for most of us, it's hard to really pinpoint where our trauma started from. I feel I, I can really relate to people because I know what it feels like to have a really poor body image and to feel self-disgust and to look in the mirror and think, oh my God, you are just so ugly and so disgusting. I think that getting the nutrition and exercise was, was my house self-help program. And I experienced the same as you did. And I, I got better. I, I got a lot better. My mental health improved. My moods improved. I could like my body a little bit more. I still didn't really like myself, but I could like my body a little bit more. So where did all that start? I think it's a collision of a whole lot of different things that happen in life. I had meningococcal meningitis when I was a child and I survived it, but I went from, or so my mum told me, I went from being able to talk and being this outgoing, bright little girl to really struggling with language and having a, having a hard time. I had a very difficult time through school. I really struggled to read and write. And I could sort of read, but I couldn't say the words out loud. Even now, I struggle with a lot of words. And depending on the day of the week, you know, how well my brain's functioning. Some days I can remember words and I can pronounce them. And other days I can't. Other days I'm like go to say something and I have to stop and think, okay, what's another word I can use because, because I can't get, I can't form the words and the letters and the sound. It's happening to me all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, you're, you're trying to speak a different language, so I can, I, but I can understand and I can, I can understand that, that process of like really looking really looking for a word and looking to make the sound of that word. So I wasn't a great student and I came from a, a large family and, you know, a rural family and we had, you know, lots of different family dynamics. We're a very poor family. Um, I didn't do particularly well at school. And when I left school, I went to work in, an, in a nearby city and got mixed up with the wrong people, ending up with me being brutally raped by a bikey gang. And that did nothing for my <laughs> did nothing for me or my self-confidence. So that was traumatic in itself. And even now I have to be really careful that I don't go down, I don't go down that hole of self-loathing and self-disgust. But it's definitely a lot better than than it used to be. And so I sort of bumbled along in life. I married my husband, who was who's a really, really nice guy, and we started a family. But when I had my first baby, and I can remember holding him in my arms and thinking, oh my God, I want a different, I want a different life. I, I, this isn't, I don't want this for my child and I want to be a really good thoughtful mum and yeah I just want a different life for my children so I I had 
already started learning to read and write, starting to teach myself to read and write. And I went back to school and got my university entrance in New Zealand. And then I went and did a few different papers from one of the universities. We could do it by correspondence. I did <laughs> I did some random papers and things like art history and um, education and um, philosophy and sociology. And I had more, more kids. So by the time I had my third child, I got into the exercise and nutrition and the exercise physiology and the nutrition. And I knew I'd found my niche. And so, you know, 30 years later, or more than 30 years later, I'm, I'm still studying exercise and nutrition and yeah, and then just feel very passionate about how much that helped me and just really want to help other people with that. You are amazing, Susan. I just want to go back a little bit. When did you decide that you have those thoughts that you are ugly? What triggered those thoughts? They probably, they probably came from when I was young. There were probably a few things that converged together. We used to so I went to a school called Huiro Māori School in Ruatauna. And so each week in our class, the classmates used to vote for the best, the prettiest girl and the prettiest boy or whatever. And my mum was really particular, you know, like my school uniform was always neatly pressed and my hair was always had a hair tie in it and you know we've always had clean faces and handkerchiefs and and I never ever got my classmates never picked me ever and after some time the teacher virtually you know because they all just pick each other the teacher virtually told them that they had to pick me well you know that was my interpretation so that was a time when I felt like oh I'm not very pretty I'm not very attractive I'm not very likable and then we had a photographer come to school and mum had got some family photos taken and you know we were so excited and so proud to have these family photos and I was laughing my head off you know and the guy said smiles like <laughs> this great big laughing smile and then mum printed the photo got a copy of the photo and put it in a frame and gave it to my grandma for a Christmas present. And it went on her piano in her living room, in her, in her whatever, smart room. Mm -hmm. They used to have separate, you know, you know. So it went in there. And we used to go and see grandma at Christmas. And I can remember walking into the room and my aunties and uncles were laughing. at. I heard them commenting on my teeth. And I have big teeth. And so they were commenting on my teeth and my laughter. And I felt so humiliated. And I never, I, I spent years and years trying not to smile. And I would refuse to be in front of a camera. And you can ask my kids. I mean, there are a few photos, family photos of me, but there's no photos of me with my kids. I hated it. I, I, I would just refuse. And, and I wouldn't smile. I'd always just keep my face in a very you know, non-smiling positions so that my teeth wouldn't be seen. So I think I already had sort of those issues and thoughts going on inside of me. I already, I wasn't very good at the dinnertime debates. So dad would always have a debate and, you know, my family are very smart, very well, and they're all very well educated, but they were all very quick and smart and I couldn't keep up with the debate so that added to my sense of you know failure and inadequacy and I can remember lying in bed one night hearing mum and dad talking about what are we going to do with Susan and basically they taught me to be a really good housewife they taught me to be how to look after the family how to clean how to cook so that I had some skills under my belt when I got older and it was a real internal struggle i I still feel the, you know, like this potential that I had inside of me that just really wanted to be released. But I was encased in this world of not being able to communicate particularly clearly. I was a very, very angry teenager. 
I probably had a pretty violent temper. Um, I was desperate to have friends and, and fit in and be one of the crowd, which is how I ended up in that situation I ended up in. And yeah, I just I just remember this absolutely incredible frustration. And I couldn't really drink. I've never been able to drink because as soon as I would drink alcohol, that anger and that frustration would have a release valve and out it would come and I'd sort of express all these emotions that I had inside of me that I had kept locked up, really. Thank you for sharing, Susan. I really appreciate it. You know, there are so many people who would have this childhood trauma that they wouldn't even realize they have it. And I just want to ask you, this gang raping, how did it impact your life in the future? What's happened after this? Couldn't tell anybody. And and I was so stupid at the time because I'd been at this party, which was across the road, and I don't know whether they spiked my drink or whether I just couldn't handle my alcohol. But anyway, four of the guys there walked me home. Now, one of them was the boyfriend of, of the girl who had invited me to the party. So anyway, they did their thing. I... I woke up in the morning, you know, just, you know, there was vomit everywhere, blood everywhere. I was just naked on the floor. It was just, it was just an absolute mess. And I was probably very hungover. And I don't know what got into me, but I went across the road to tell, tell my friend what had happened. And her and her girlfriends beat me up because I'd slept with their boyfriends. And so I didn't know what to do. I couldn't tell my parents. There was no way I would tell my parents. Why? Well, after my father killed me, he probably would have killed them. There would, I suppose I didn't really feel like there'd be any support. I felt that my mum would say, well, that's what you would expect of Susan. You know, that, that would be typical of Susan. My father would be angry, but he'd also be disgusted with me and he'd be so angry that I was drinking. And so I felt that I would be as much to blame as, you know, as the the bikey boys were. And yeah, so I just decided that I would deal with it by myself. Now, I was very fortunate. I went to work the next day and I was you know, black eyes and had bleeding nose and, you know, was bruised. And um, there was a very wonderful lady that I worked with who was a little bit older than me. And she took me out for a cup of tea and sat me down and said, and she said, I'm really worried about you. What's going on? And so I told her and she was amazing and she helped. She really, really helped me get through it. And it was with her that I got through it. She wanted me to report it to the police, but I I wouldn't. These people lived across the road. My parents knew their parents, and so I wouldn't report it to the police. So it was a pretty it was a pretty dark time. I remember being absolutely petrified at night. I wouldn't go to bed. I'd sleep on the sofa because I was too scared to go down to the other end of the house. I remember hiding in the wardrobe when there was noises. I understand it's not easy to share. But it's just that sense that it's your fault, you know. And, you know, to some extent, it was my fault. But, you know, Susan, I resonate with you so much because for 20 years I've been blaming myself for what's happened to me. I didn't even have an idea that it can be my stepfather's fault, not even in an idea. I took on all the shame. I took all the guilt on me and I was beating myself up for what's happened. And now I am truly believe that it's always the responsibility of the perpetrators, always. And I told you over the camera exactly the same. No one has a right to touch your body, no matter in what conditions you are, no matter. You know, I was reading this book, Courage to Heal. 
and the author was saying something really, really real that struck me the most. And she was saying that even if your daughter or son naked jump on you and start begging you for sex, a normal man, normal, responsible man would push away his child and say, hey, you have some trouble. You have some issues here. Go and put your clothes on and let's talk. Mm. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm. If a man would take an advantage of the situation, that's not the fault of a child, no matter how intoxicated mm. he is, mm. no matter what he's asking for, it's his fault. Yeah, it absolutely is. And so many people are so afraid to tell families and friends because they can be judged. In this situation, what I understand, what I've realized, family members and friends might be not the right people to talk to, but there are always people who went through a similar situation and who will understand what's going on. And I want to share something with you quickly, something that has happened just recently, actually. I, and I talk about this on my, diff, on my other podcasts, but a few months ago, I, I wrote an article about my stepfather in my hometown and the article went viral <laughs> and I left my email address saying, girls, if you have no one to talk to, if you're going through a similar situation, send me an email and hundreds of emails from women and men who finally felt safe to open up. And recently my article took a first uh, place, like it, it's, Mm, it was voted number one article in the whole state of Russia as, you know, huge, like between hundreds of articles. And my journalist contacted me and he said, Anna, I really want to uh, remind people about this story. And I want to ask you for the updates. And I said, I told him about hundreds, hundreds of letters, uh, how my uh, email box just exploded and that I'm happy that it uh, was voted number one uh, article because we're going to have more exposure because it go, it's going on a national level. And we published it, Susan. Oh my goodness, you should see those comments. So much negativity from people. There are some positive comments, of course. I still, I was still receiving some wonderful letters from people who are opening up. But I just, I just realized that people, when you, when you talk about this controversial topic, it triggers something in people. It triggers their shame response, their mm -hmm. own pain mm -hmm. and insecurities. And what I'm trying to say, my point is, do not give up. Do not give up. If someone uh, didn't believe you or didn't listen to you, go to another person, go to another place, get support from other people who do understand mm. you. Yeah, I would, I would second you on that, Anna, for anyone who's listening to this and is going through those kind of experiences now or is struggling with past experiences. Anyone who, heaven forbid, it happens to in the future, really um, you know, we're talking, we're talking 40 years later now, 40, 45, 46 years later now, things have changed a lot. And there's so many places where you can go and get help and find someone to talk to these days. And it's still not too late. Never. I would encourage everybody to do that because it's, it's a huge burden to carry for your whole life. And it, you don't want it to, you don't even realize, but it permeates through all your relationships it, because it because it affects your relationship with yourself so strongly, it has to affect your relationship with everybody else around you. Susan, what helped you on your healing journey to go through this tough situation? I think I think there were a few things. One of the things I decided was I wasn't going to be scared. So I decided I wouldn't, I didn't want to be scared. And I, and, the, and I thought if I was scared, my thought was the bastards will win if they make me scared. So, so I decided to take hold of my fear and not be, and, and not be scared and be brave and have courage. So that was one thing. And I probably had, I was probably quite fortunate that I had quite a good background in my 
early life for that. So although life was pretty challenging, there were some pretty good things as well. And my father had some pretty good messages and we'd learned, you know, we'd learn the hard way about about being tough and having courage and overcoming fear. So I had that to draw on. I think I always say that I was born under an optimistic star and I believe that. I think that I think that no matter what happens, somehow for me there is always a little bit of a shining light that that things can be better. And so I feel very fortunate and really grateful that I have that aspect to my personality. Getting married and my husband's family were amazing to me and I really felt that I belonged and they really cared. So that, so although although I didn't talk about any of this stuff with them, that was that gave me a place that I could call home and I felt safe. So that was really powerful. Learning to read and write helped a lot. That gave me a lot of, lot more confidence in myself and I found that I could express myself. And when I, when I started taking on university level study, I realised that I was smart inside despite the inability to perhaps express it. So that helped give me some confidence. And then, as I said, having my babies, having my babies really helped. And just having that drive and passion that I wanted a better and a different life for them. And that was really super important to me. And so I needed to be a better person and learn how to be a good mum. And, you know, and none of us are perfect. And you you certainly make your mistakes. And my kids certainly let me know about it the underlying um, desire and, and, and goodwill there really helped. I don't know that I, I mean, you know, like sitting here talking to you, I think, you know, have I really healed? It's hard to know, but I do feel really great. Um, I've got my little house in Kobodo and I probably feel as good now as I've ever felt at any time in my life. So, so that's good. So, you know, maybe I have healed and maybe it's just the memories that bring up emotion. It's, it's difficult. It's really difficult to know. I know that that journey to self-love is a long, slow one. It's, and self-love is a, is a weird thing to say, you know, and, and I'm a Kiwi and we're, we don't talk about things like that quite the same way as, you know, maybe people do in the States and, and other cultures. And I think, you know, probably my background and my, you know, my early years. So self-love feels like a little bit of a... of a Selfish? Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. It feels something that would have been knocked out of you as a child, you know, you know. Mm. But... Perhaps there's another word that could be used for it. But I have realized over the years that everything, everything is based on your acceptance of yourself. And you have to, and and it's based on the acceptance of all the good, valuable things about yourself, which we get knocked out of us, you know, don't, don't skype, don't, don't show off, don't, don't be too noisy. Don't tell people what your achievements are. Don't say, look at me. So that gets knocked out of us. But we need to be able to accept all those achievements and all those good things and all those talents that we have. And we also all need to be able to accept the dark side of ourselves. We also need to be able to accept like, oh, there's a moment of jealousy. There's a moment of envy. There's a moment of you know, being bitchy. There's a moment of not behaving as well as we want. And we need to accept that. And we need to accept that we're made up of this whole kaleidoscope of feelings and emotions and behaviours and who we are. And, you know, work on doing better, but celebrating our successes as well. And celebrating and being grateful. And again, some of that stuff sounds you know, kind of sounds a bit icky in, in, in the New Zealand culture, perhaps, um, certainly in my generation and, and how I was brought up. 
but you know being grateful being look look for the best in other people look for the best in yourself um i think those things are really important and you know as a as a friend of mine used to always say to me he used to say you know it's not a practice run so you only got one life and that's something i remind myself every morning i remind myself i can get up today and feel miserable and be sad and and then not do that self-care not look after myself eat crappy food because it tastes nice in the moment drink too much because it's really good at hiding those emotions and you feel really good after you know you feel oh I feel good now but then the next morning you get up and you're like god why did I do that because that wasn't an alignment with what my goals are and what I want to achieve and we do only have one shot at life and we don't have to get it perfect, but I think we want to just keep making progress in it. I think making progress is what gives us confidence and makes the days feel good and makes life feel worthwhile. And when we're not making progress, when we're wallowing, that's when that black cloud of depression come on. And that's when we go down that that very, very deep, dark hole. And that's, you know, and I've had plenty of those days where I've just wanted it you know, like, what's the point? Nobody cares. Why am I here? You know, um, but you can find your way out. And then, you know, for me, it's been a real blessing. Um, I met Laban and met you and then, you know, so many people that you guys have introduced me to. And, and so many people you saved. <laughs> and transform lives <laughs> so you know that bigger that bigger world you know there have been a lot of COVID sport you know COVID in New Zealand's been pretty challenging mm-hmm. but it's also provided opportunities and I'm really really grateful for the opportunities that COVID has provided for me and it's enabled me to get out of my circle out of I don't mean my circle but out of it's been enabled me to get out and get a bigger broader perspective of and and a lot of other viewpoints as well and so that's been really really helpful and I think it's super easy to get stuck in stuck just in that tiny little world that you live in just go round and round in circles and not challenge and not challenge yourself and other people's beliefs as well. I love this season. We all have a choice. We can choose to go in the rabbit hole and go into the darkness, or we can make a commitment to ourselves to live, to serve, to be happy and enjoy this life. And that's why I, that's why I extended my, you know, my, my self-care program you know, which, you know, sort of, I talk about going from overweight and overwhelmed to feeling healthy and thriving. And that's why, you know, I I began offering it as a four and then a six-week program. And then clients I had said, look, look, I need to see you for a longer period of time because it's not just telling you what to eat and exercise and sleep and, and, and setting a few tiny habits or small steps or strategies for implementing those things. It's about when those dark times come up and it's about when those struggles come. And when you've had that really bad day at work and you hate the boss and you've gone home, you've sat down, you've opened the wine and ate the chocolate and that's fine. The next step is how do, what's next? How do you step from that back into self-care the next day? And that was the bit that clients said they need longer term help so that they can really master those skills and keep progressing. And yeah, it's really, it's really rewarding work, you know, and that self-sabotage is something, you know, it's crazy, but like we all do it. It's, you know, we all do it. There's not one of us that doesn't do it. And it's just about, you know, it's how long we do it for. And it's about having the exactly. it's about having the skills to step out of it. And quite often we think, oh, well, that diet didn't work because the diet was no good. But 
you know, often it's not because the diet was no good. It was because we haven't got to that place yet where we have the support we need to keep helping us believe that we are and we deserve to take care of ourselves properly. You know, you only got one body. And if you only ever had one car for your life, imagine how well you would look after your car. You'd be out there cleaning and polishing. And, and we sort of treat our bodies a little bit like they're disposable. But, you know, once, once we've mm-hmm. wrecked it, you know, then what do we do? Mm-hmm. Susan, for those who would love to get in contact with you, where people can find you? So they can find me, they can email me at susan at susanbirch.co.nz and they can find me, my website is Susan Birch, Susan Birch the health detective, I think, susanbirch.co.nz, I think as well. Um, my website's just going through a little bit of an upgrade at the moment. So the new website should be up and running um, in another week or two, I hope. They can find me on YouTube, Susan Birch, The Health Detective, and also on, you know, all the different podcasts, Apple Podcasts and all the different podcast websites. So um, just look for The Health Detective there. And on Facebook, so again, under Susan Birch, the health detective on Facebook. And I've got a whole lot of, I try and produce as much free content as I can for people just to really help support people. So on my website, there's a whole lot of free downloads about all sorts of things, you know, protein and blood testing and and a whole lot of different things. I've got a little booklet that I'm nearly finished producing which I hope will be really helpful for people and um, that will be on sale and that goes through all the different markers on the blood tests and then what they mean and what other things to look for so I'm hoping that that will be a really useful resource for people to be able to have a look at their own blood tests and then when they're talking to their doctor, they can say, well, what about this or what about that? And they've mm-hmm. got a better understanding because the doctor just goes, oh, no, it's all normal. And even if there's like red marks on it and flags, the doctor goes, oh, no, that's normal um, because they don't, because they look at them very differently from me. The doctors are looking to diagnose disease. I'm looking at putting them together and triangulating all the different markers so we can figure out you know, why you've got no energy, why you can't lose weight, why you've got brain fog, why you might mm-hmm. be not working properly. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing, Susan. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing an amazing job. Before we go, do you have any concluding thoughts? I guess my concluding thought is just to say to people, you are worth it. You really, really are worth it. And trust me, I know how bad it can feel. And I know, I know it's not, you know, you come and you see someone like me and you think, oh, you've got it all together and you're lucky. And, you know, how many people tell me I'm so lucky. And, but just know that every one of us has something going on that other people don't see and don't know and have experiences that have affected us. And you don't have to be, have been gang raped for that to be going on with you. There can be a whole lot of other things. So just, I think, just keep holding your head up and just keep fighting for yourself and just keep telling yourself every day, I deserve it, I deserve deserve what's best for me and I deserve how to put the best things into my body and how to take care of my body in the best way. And, you know, you deserve to be loved as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Susan Birch. Thank you for being here today. I know it's not easy. If you are ready to take this journey all the way, I can help. To find more about my unique method of turning your past trauma into your superpower or how to connect with me best, go to anandichburn.com. This journey is impossible to do on your own. So make sure you like, subscribe, and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. And if you have someone in your life 
who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the world's best trauma recovery podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.